your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to ATP. James here, joined by Ryan and Alex, following Everton's nil-nil draw to Spurs at home at Goodison Park. Everton have won just one of their last 17 Premier League games against Spurs, drawing eight and losing eight. The most recent and only victory in those last 17 was the 1-0 win in September of last year. Not a great record and really a difficult match overall today with some controversial moments, which we will discuss in great detail. But we'll start with instant match reactions and we'll go to Alex first. Honestly, if you told me nil-nil at the beginning before we started, I would have bitten your hand off. I think maybe a lot of Everton fans are going to feel hard done by by the time it was all said and done. However, I think the most important um, part was to stop the rot before the international break. What about you, Ryan? Probably a fair result. Then we got hard done by the officials, but we'll get into that. It was a very eventful match for sure. Um, We'll talk through the tactics too. That tends to be kind of the way I look at things. Um, And I think there was kind of a balance there that was a little different in some previous matches, but um, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised about the score because that was like the only time I tried to predict a score. I think all year, like I really hate predictions ever like period. Cause you're so good at them, right? Yeah. I I hate them. I just, I'm not like, I don't want to forecast stuff. I just want to look and see what I think I saw and describe it and move on. Uh, But yeah, I, 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 you know, two teams that are very defensive and I thought we'd try and shore up the defense a little bit today. And we did. Yeah. And Antonio Conte's first match in charge of Spurs. So well in the league, in the league indeed yes yeah, yeah. uh looking for the uh new manager bounce which they didn't quite get today but let's start with the everton lineup a couple changes alex for the blues going into today's match oh, hold up here hold up i got the score right ryan <laughs> ryan predict i thought we well, covered well, that Ryan. no we, we did that, i ryan. mentioned it casually i you are the one that normally announces these things okay. i want due full credit <laughs> ryan let it be known to all Ryan who doesn't make predictions, but when he does is apparently quite good at it. Predicted the nil nil. The only person on the discord to predict it correctly. As a reminder, if you want to join the, that's right. That's right. (laughs) If you want to join the discord, the link is invite.gg slash ATP. Now with due credit, having been issued, Ryan, are you content or do you want us to keep going? Or can we go to Alex for the Everton lineup? I think Alex can do the lineup. That's okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. I appreciate the blessing. Now, although Awobi scores last time out against Wolves, he drops to the bench and Anthony Gordon comes in. It was pretty interesting to see uh, right when when kickoff began, you saw Damari Gray on the left-hand side. You saw Townsend sitting seemingly in the second striker role. And then Anthony Gordon was on the right-hand side. Yeah, that I... I still, I don't don't understand the usage of, of Townsend in the middle. I mean, what what... He did the same thing against Wolves. What do you think he's thinking there? Not sure, but I guess we're going to dive into uh, how that really played out during the during the timeline. Yeah, I guess that's that's a better thing. I mean, how did it play out, right? Um, let's go to Spurs real quick. Uh, Conte in his typical back three. Um, Skip and Huyberg are the twin pivots. Um, you know, it's a fairly defensive setup and has in most of the year. They're going to attack with the wingbacks, uh, Regulon and Emerson. And I... 
we expected some interchange between Kane's son and Lucas Moore. And I, I think the big concern was, you know, leaving that space in between the lines. Kane is deadly when he drops back from the back line. I was assuming that we would set up in, in at least, you know, the four, one, four, one in defense, hopefully the four, three, three, like we saw most of the wolves match after we went down two nil, but I had to admit when they announced the lineup, I'm thinking who the heck's going to play in the inside. And sure enough, it was, it was Townsend, but, but anyway, I think probably the most important part of how the tactics played out was that, you know, we were pushing the fullbacks up a little higher, but I, I use the analogy off the air with uh, the short blanket. Um, I think we saw a little bit of the short blanket today, you know, being more concerned about the defensive areas rather than the attack, because we saw Gordon and gray dropping fairly deep at times, uh, especially to try and pick up fullbacks, tracking the wingbacks at times we saw it in, I think the problem is the lack of the free roll for great, which we've seen in the past. He's been kind of the trigger to transition. I love the fact that he was out left this time. I think that's his better place. He's more dangerous out there. Um, but, you know, you're bringing Delph back to take better care of the ball. I thought we did that pretty well, and he played the holding role very well to support the guys in front of him. But we still were not necessarily all that dangerous in attack. So would we say we sacrificed attack for defensive structure and stability? Do you think that's... A fair assessment, James? Yeah, I think I, I think the obvious way it played out with Spurs struggling to create really anything throughout the match would, would support that. You could also say that they were they were poor in attack, but you look at the average shape as well, and it's clear that both Gordon and Gray uh, are, are looking to get back further to support the defense, and they were yeah. able to contribute on that side. Furthermore, you see Andrus Townsend's average position ends up being way out on the right, and the eye test supports that as well, especially early on when Gordon and Townsend were on top of one another for large stretches. Um, it obviously worked defensively, but we didn't have any really great chances and gray having to be a little more disciplined in his positioning and role to try to, to shut out anything Spurs were able to do going forward. Yeah. We almost build up a little more in possession, but I, I mean, I, I thought you should, I mean, I, I knew when I saw Townsend a couple times wider than Coleman, and even Gordon, I'm sitting there thinking that's not, that can't be right. And a couple of times he turned with the ball and you could tell he just wanted to cross the darn thing. And that's not really the right role for him. I, I would have liked to see someone else in there. That's a little more comfortable with the role, but I mean, do you sit down Gordon? Do you sit down Townsend? Which one do you do? But yeah, Alex, I mean, I know you mentioned it too. They it just felt like they were on top of each other. And I mean, clearly that's, it just seemed like that whole side was jumbled. Would you not agree? Yeah, and I think the I think Townsend's positioning kind of contributed to Richardson being pretty ostracized for a lot of the match in general, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about it. Richardson starting up top, um, he's never going to give you the same um, hold up or or you know contribution to the build up as maybe Dominic Calvert Lewin would, and then especially against three center backs, that makes it even more challenging for him without someone focusing more on the middle. Um, and in terms of shot distribution, really, both teams pretty even, right? Uh, two thirds of the 18 yard box and then a third outside of the box. Um, but otherwise neither, neither team had a shot inside the six. So, you know, very much aligned with, with the story as it, as it played out Everton pretty even attacking left and right side. Um, whereas Tottenham really focused on their left, meaning our right. And, you know, maybe, maybe that could be part of why we saw Townsend tucking in a lot more. Although I think it's still pretty clear that it was, it was imbalanced in positioning regardless. And what I saw there, I saw a lot of space in behind because although Townsend was 
definitely over on the right side and we were pushing Coleman up a little more. We ended up vacating a lot of space in behind for Regulon to make runs in behind. And, you know, he was disciplined early with a yellow card, which I thought would make more of an impact, but there was certainly, even though we're overloading on offense, it left us exposed a little bit on defense. It did. Uh, And I think maybe some of it was called for though, really. I mean, if you really sat back and looked at it, you said, I I thought Wolves just picked us apart, you know, the first 35 minutes. So I think the sacrifice was okay. It was a different way to attack though. You know, we were trying to attack more collectively in possession. I think we saw Alon a lot more involved in the attack. I would have liked to see a little more of that on the right side as well. Um, But, you know, it happened the way it was. So let's just get into the timeline because I thought the early part of the match was, very intense, uh, certainly uh, almost reckless from a lot of different people. So I don't really know what to say about that. Um, it, it was it was a little bit chaotic at times, but I thought it kind of played into our structure. But but I also have to admit they created probably their best chances early. Um, so I don't know how you guys were feeling about it. I I, I like the shape. I, I thought we were comfortable, I guess. But yeah, the tackles are flying all over the place. It was kind of ridiculous crazy physical and Kavanaugh had a horrible day today, but also players didn't make his job all that easy. We had 11 fouls called in the first 20 minutes. And a lot of that was Spurs just throwing in, shoving players from behind some reckless challenges. I mean, I think the first major moment or moment of note was Ben Godfrey receiving the ball at the top of the 18. Why? And electing to take a 25 yard shot that just stayed flat on the ground and straight at Larice. Uh, and that was really our, I think, our only shot on only shot on target for either team, actually, in the first half. But then he made up for it by doing that great tackle on Sun. I mean, how, uh, maybe that was an accident, but he ends up leaving his studs right into his side. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty, I, I was just kind of a, you know, a foreshadowing how the match was going, I suppose. Uh, when Regulon got his yellow, I thought there's something like I thought that could be a big deal for us. I really thought we could maybe go to attack on the right side. You had fresh legs. Gordon has some pace. He can extend them a little bit and it never really played out that way, probably because of some of the mistakes and the issues with with shape. Um, they had a breakout and a pretty good chance off the break. Lucas Mora had one that we blocked that they looked dangerous. You know, they were Spurs at times looks patient and comfortable with the ball, you know, and you're kind of waiting for him to break us down. But I, I think ultimately the problem with Spurs is you've got ship and, and Hoiberg and they're so, so much distance from the top three. You just don't have a tremendous amount of support if the wingbacks aren't really that involved. And I think dropping our wide midfielders back to deal with the wingbacks and help out probably neutralized a lot of that. Emerson had a pretty good chance, I suppose, in the 21st. I thought the epitome of our game, though, at one point, I just started shaking my head when you had the uh, back-to-back long balls by Godfrey and Keane that basically knocked them both off the pitch, basically. That was lovely. Overshot Gray by, like, 20 yards. And I'm yeah. thinking, I mean, and I appreciated the fact that Gray is there to try and extend the defense a little bit. That was good, right? That was a, I think that's a positive, and that's how he should play. I mean, all three of his goals have been scored on the left. I don't think he's comfortable in the middle, but it was that. And then combined with the yellow to Delph, which was kind of concerning that, that at one point I was shaking my head thinking, oh man, is the tide turning here? What in God's green earth is, is doing, but really, I mean, we stayed together until at the very end Spurs had a massive chance to go one up, probably the biggest, biggest chance from open play in the whole match. hundred percent. I think it was Kane who found Reggion on the, at the back post. Yeah. Kane. What a, I'll tell you what, man, him dropping back, he's just transformed his game so well into such a good playmaker. He's got to do better with this cross, though, doesn't he? 
yeah, it was a huge chance for them. And, and obviously to kind of put a, a button on the end of the first half to go up one, no would have been massive for Spurs, but they end the half with no shots on target. And that was, that was the key one. And that takes us basically to halftime. I mean, there were fouls flying left and right, but I think the second half is where things really started to get out of control, but you look at the half halftime stats and Everton six, five ahead in shots again with one on target for Everton 42 to 58 possession. Unsurprising. That's Rafa ball for you. 79 to 85 uh, pass percentage, 14 to six in tackles. So despite having less of the ball, we were, dominating them in nine to 10 in fouls. So we're making tackles and we're making them cleanly. Whereas Spurs hacking us all over the place. Um, and, and we forced nine dispossessions for Spurs um, and, and only three for Everton. And, and again, the interceptions 12 to three. So it just shows we were, we were pretty disruptive. They weren't able to get any real momentum going besides that golden chance at the end of the first. Would you say we had spirit? Yeah, I, I think the type of game that it was, the stop-start nature of it with all sorts of fouls is exactly what Goodison, gets Goodison Park up and going. And the fans were, by the it end, sounded it loud. It sounded crazy. loud. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Alex, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I, the way I'd measure it, if I can measure it at all, would be I think I saw more commitment even in just the 50-50 balls, right? Just the duels won. Um, especially in the first half, right? It, it was pretty clear early on in the first half, the Godfrey and, Ke- Godfrey and Keane came to play. And I think they showed that, especially with the defensive stats at halftime. It was helpful to see Ben Godfrey look a little more comfortable today. Uh, may- maybe it just goes to show you, though, if you have a little protection for your center halves, they're going to perform a lot better. And there were some dicey moments a few times, but I, I thought for the most part, they they played well. It was probably helpful that they didn't have a corner all first half. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's a, that's a big storyline. I mean, I know we're all shaking our head. They could thank heavens, but that's really important, you know? And I think that goes to show that we did contain a lot of what they did. There just wasn't that much sustained pressure from either side. Again, we kind of beat the, you know, the Gordon kind of towns and issues on the right side, but yeah, more commitment. I thought we started fine. Uh, pretty big chance in the 53rd. I mean, Gordon had a, had a one-time volley off a really good cross. I thought Luca Dean was pretty dangerous today at times when he found space. It just, they knew we were, you know, we're our attack from the left side is dangerous and they were lined up to kind of stop it. But this is a pretty tough shot. I mean, I'm happy that he gave it a go. It would have been an amazing goal. I, I thought Gordon was fine today. I just think it was, kind of a mutual issue there. I don't, I don't think either Gordon or Townsend are necessarily at blame. You know, I, I just don't think Townsend was comfortable in that position. He may have crowded out Gordon. I thought Gordon was tidy enough. I mean, you know, he took care of the ball. He just didn't do a ton. Um, but I mean, he worked his tail off. I think he had seven tackle attempts that led the team. So you could see who was really putting in a shift, which I think everyone appreciates, you know, not super eventful. And then the 60th minute, very fascinating substitute, I thought. I know I initially thought, you got to be kidding me. Rafael Benitez went with Tom Davies for Fabian Delft. Now, initially, I was thinking, oh, dear Lord, he's not really going to try and play Tom Davies as the, as the six. Uh, and he did. He dropped a, a lawn back in the sixth and wouldn't have been necessarily my choice. But, you know, if you give him very strict instructions, he should be able to follow them. Alon's a pretty smart player. We just haven't seen it in the 4-4-2. But I think we'd be remiss with not mentioning how good Fabian Delph was today. But also, more importantly, I think we have, I don't know of any other place that's been as 
objectively complimentary of Fabian Delt when he's played in the American Toffee podcast. So I want to pat ourselves on the back a little bit for that. Yeah. I mean, seriously, though, but you saw what kind of player he was today. I, I think all his passing and I mean, he's an excellent passer. That's probably the best part of his game. Both feet. His distribution was excellent. I mean, some good effort and produce some pretty good defensive numbers, I think, as a result as well. Would you guys not agree? Yeah, I mean, Delph, he was eight for 10 in long passes, which is pretty impressive. 86.5% pass rate, which is second highest. Um, three for three in tackles, three interceptions, never dispossessed. He had one bad touch. And obviously the yellow, which was pretty dicey, especially, you know, halfway through the first half. But otherwise, I thought that he was a breath of fresh air. He really picked it up where, where he left off um, in the second half against Wolves. And probably... I would probably vote him as, as the man of the match, in my opinion. And that was only 60 minutes, but it was, it was definitely interesting to see Tom Davies come on uh, in the 60th. And, and, and I think we saw that in the style of play moving forward through the second half. Yeah. I mean, Delph was huge. And we talked to the squad assessment. We really thought Delph was probably the worst fit for Rafa's style of play of all our midfielders potentially. Yeah. But you saw today what a difference he made. And we didn't even mention that he did come in to start the level of composure, the ability to kind of do a little bit of everything and provide the structure for Alon to be able to get forward, I think was massive. Um, and people have, have slated Fabian Delph, but you don't play as much as he did for Manchester city without being a quality player. I think people, I think the narrative will definitely start to turn on him after today. And was he our best player for the 60 minutes? Yeah. Was it dangerous for him to continue playing with the yellow considering how physical and how many fouls are getting thrown around? Probably. And so I think that might've been part of the rationale as well as fitness concerns, which has been the biggest knock against him as a player, but no, no real faults for Fabian today. I think he, he won a lot of people over or at least started to. Yeah, the narrative was dumb, though, to begin with. I mean, yes. when he played, I'm sorry, objectively, he did what you would expect him to do. You know, he's really good at passing, both progressive wise, as well as just taking care of the ball. I, I think the issue with Delph is always fitness and being hurt. And he was hurt before, so it always a risk. He was never hurt quite this much. I think in the squad assessment, what we said was that Delph tends to dwell on the ball. Yeah. You know, he, he he's better in a possession based team. And I think that remains true. I think in many cases, I'm sure Rafael Benitez at times was thinking, move the ball, you know, at times today, I think he showed some urgency, but Alon's the same way. I mean, they're both yep. possession based players. And so we had more possession today. We looked like we were in control a couple of times in attack, but maybe we weren't as dangerous as a result because it was kind of like a collective buildup type thing. But anyways, um, I think at this point in the match, we were all just kind of wondering what was going to happen. At least I was, you know, it wasn't super eventful. I didn't see a lot of danger either way. And then a massive moment in the 63rd. Um, we saw one time where Alon tried to play Richarlison over the top. Um, although I think that was later, but you know, they were starting to push up their line a little bit. And I was kind of thinking, you know, Charleston's movement's pretty good. I, I was kind of thinking that might open up. That's not exactly what happened here, but I thought we might get one shot. So this, I, I there's so many questions I have about this, especially in particular when he blew the whistle. It, it was a very confusing sequence to me, at least. Yeah, it was. So Richarlison gets the ball. He's he's in on goal. He takes a touch. Larice is closing him down, and there's a collision of sorts, and we can debate who got ball first, but initially Kavanaugh gives the penalty points immediately to the spot. Um, but what's bizarre about it is credit to Richarlison. He gets immediately on his feet after the foul and continues to play. 
and he has the ball facing an open net when Kavanaugh stops play. And then John Moss is on VAR and he asked Kavanaugh to go take a look. Well, hold, hold on. In John Moss's defense, that way he doesn't have to run a lot. So I think that works out. So true. Great point. Better spot for him anyway. <laughs> but he sends Kavanaugh over to take a look and he decides to overturn it. I guess the thought was that Larice gets a touch on the ball. And when you watch the replay, which I think we all have probably like a dozen times at this point, it's looks like he may get a touch, but he also takes Richarlison's legs out in the process. So the question becomes, is it a clear and obvious error? I think is the main one that, that warrants overturning it. And secondly, why don't you let play continue and see how it plays out? Because if Richarlison scores that goal, then it's a non-issue. If you're going to immediately point to the spot. Or blow it right away. I mean, it's right. got to be one of the that The reason why we don't have situations like this is because you blow it right away or you let it play and then you go back to VAR. And, you know, then you can communicate with the VAR guys going and knowing that you think it was close. You know what I mean? And that's and that's OK. How does this, the whole hit the ball first thing is absolutely insane to me. So if you tap the ball a little bit and then you like clothesline a guy or poke his eyeballs out or then come up and kick him in the family jewels, it's okay. No, that, that is absolutely silly. I'm, I hate that narrative. And I, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. To me, it's a foul. And I cannot believe that's a clear and obvious error because he tapped the ball and then took it. How could you have watched that and thought, I mean, go with your first call. And then to blow it when he blew it, my only assumption is that he did try and blow it earlier. and Maybe they didn't hear him. I mean, because why would you why would you have thought conscientiously? Oh, wait, Richarlison's turning a corner now, right before he gets a clean shot from the 18. Let's blow the whistle like that is as dumb as I mean, it's literally tr- how could I do worse in that particular scenario? I don't think he could have literally. I mean, had he done nothing, had he just looked away, had he not been paying attention? it would have gone better. So I, I, Alex, I'm kind of curious your, your thought on this. You've watched it too. I mean, is this a penalty? Should he have overturned it? I mean, what do you no, think? I mean, I think, I think he, he very clearly thought it was a penalty based on the fact that he didn't let the play develop, even though he really should have. Right. Um, or but I also right think away. that, or call it right away. I mean, I think right. But I, but I also think that if you have to watch, um, if you have to watch the tackle on loop, like six, seven, eight times before, you overturn it, then it doesn't seem very clear and obvious, right? You, you know, it. Yeah. I personally, I did not see an angle in which we physically saw Yoris's hand touch the ball. I saw the ball move directions, fine, but I didn't physically see him touch the ball from the opposite side. So I don't know how that's clear and obvious. He obviously didn't think it was clear and obvious either, based on the fact that it took him seemingly a whole minute to decide. Uh, I think that it's pretty easy to feel hard done by, by the decision and the way that it was handled. And, and, and then all of that to say at the end of the entire debacle, Spurs got the ball back. Yeah. Explain that to me. How, how, what universe is that? Why? What, what was the call? Like, so we didn't even get to play the advantage, right? We got the call overturned and then we aren't even handed the ball back. Yeah. We had the ball clearly in possession when he, it's just, Madness. Uh, there are multiple guys out there. You know, there are four official officials on the field or next to the field. I mean, seriously, not one of them could have got that right. It's I, it's just you watch other leagues and there's missed calls, of course, like there is in every league. But it just the level of inconsistency in this league is mind boggling. I was happy that we finally at least tried to go in for some hard fouls and stuff today, whereas everybody else has been doing that this year and it's been perfectly fine. I thought Kavanaugh did call a lot of fouls today uh, that may have gone on in other instances, although they were all right. 
But I, there was another, I mean, what, a couple minutes later, we have another, I thought, fairly controversial decision, but I felt like no one even addressed that. The telecast didn't really talk about it. They kind of dismissed it. But we've seen this exact same thing happen before. And I do not, under. I, maybe it's an agenda against Richarlison. I, how is this not certainly looked at more seriously? And it's... And, it's- it's a very strange one, um, and because it's a bit of deja vu, but yes, that's probably reversed. the biggest issue, right? I mean, that's... Richarlison and Romero come together after a foul, and Richarlison does the instigating here where he puts his forehead on Romero, and then Romero oh, yeah. does the retaliation where he sort of like, it, it's not a, like aggressive, like crazy, but he does move his head forward, and we've seen in Bo- uh, the Bournemouth match in 2018, Richarlison had the same thing player came on to him he sort of pushed his head forward the player flops and gets and Richarlison got red carded this I think they showed the replay maybe once and it was just sort of on with play that and at the time it was like okay I think the retaliation is what always gets punished but again the inconsistency just drives you crazy yeah Davies chopping people down no card whatsoever I mean utterly ridiculous it was all over the place and this one yeah I mean this one could have definitely went our way too yeah, incredibly frustrating. Um, and both both players get disciplined. Yellow cards flying out of Kavanaugh's pocket left and right. That was in the 67th. In the 75th, another potentially really good chance of ball. Close. Ball over the top to Rich Arlison. He just can't quite take it down onto his foot. He puts his head in, head in his hands afterwards after largely feeding on scraps for a lot of the match. This one was as close to a golden opportunity as he got, I think, the whole time. I think, yeah, also- I mean, that one, that one, I sat there thinking the entire time, Rich, if you settle that like you would nine out of 10 times, it's a goal. Yeah. Like he is deadly in the box. The ball, like the, the length on the pass was perfect. He had just amount, he had just the amount of space between him and the keeper. If he would have settled it, it was a very glorious opportunity and really unfortunate that he couldn't settle it there. It's where we saw Alon is beneficial being pushed up now. When he have a sitter behind him, he can now be aggressive. He can go tackles and, and, um, it, you know, and we've seen him create from distance a lot more with Napoli and not much for us last year, but we've seen it a little bit earlier this year. And I mean, he, he can make that pass and Spurs. I felt like they were pushing up their line a little bit and, and they were effective for the most part, but man, that would have been huge. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, look, I, I thought at this point, I said, look, we, I mean, obviously the crowd was going berserk. Everyone was fired up after the VAR incident. I mean, the next 20 minutes was absolutely intense. Um, Dean and Davies had a lovely buildup. Uh, Gray gets a touch on that cross just wide. That was another dangerous moment. Luca Dean had some crosses today. I mean, the one touch crosses. I mean, Hamas, I know you go crazy over it Love as you it. should. Oh, it's genius. You know, then I, I thought there was the sub was the 82nd minute. Now, Benitez later saying that Alon had the flu, and that's one thing he was concerned about, I guess. But Holgate coming on for Alon had. All sorts of questions to me. I, I was totally boggled by it. I'm thinking, what is he doing? I thought Holgate coming on, I was thinking, oh, maybe he'll sub in for Coleman, who's probably a little bit wiped at this point. I, can you guys make heads or tails of this one? We've got a pretty good quote from Ben on here. I had a couple ones that were similar uh, on Twitter, but I mean, does this make any, I just don't get this one. Yeah, we had Ben at Evertonian USA said, why does Rafa bring Holgate on a midfield? He was dreadful in possession before getting sent off foreshadowing. I think it has to be Gabamin coming on instead. I think that's what every Evertonian is kind of screaming at that point. Like you see Holgate coming on. Okay. Maybe a defensive substitution, but 
as you said, it's right off the back of that really good grade chance. And I think Everton were looking the more likely team to score at that point. Yeah, I agree. So it's really bizarre to bring on Holgate in midfield. I know he's done it once before at, against Manchester United with, I guess, some success. But I think twice. I think twice. He, I was at both the matches. He was. I think he played, did it in the Leicester game in the cup. But yep, I mean, you're right. And he's got some sturdiness in defense, but like, as I tweeted, I mean, what, what did I write? Oh yeah. I was having this argument with someone. They were talking about how Holgate should maybe play defense at mid. And I said, if anyone should of the center halves, it would be Godfrey because he had us in the past. And I think he's decent enough with the ball. He could maybe do it. But my comment was he can't play in the middle because his first touch is poor and his ball control is not tight and it's too loose and he can't hold the ball up. And I mean, and I think my comment was there weren't too many examples that were blatant until now. And I mean, the first two or three times he had a touch with any pressure on him and that game, every time he had a touch for the most part, there was a chance you're going to have pressure on him. What happened? He just gave the ball away, gave the ball away. And he's receiving it with his back to goal upfield in a position that's just uncomfortable for him as someone right. who's used to playing center half, not setting him up to succeed. You think he obviously possesses some of the physical attributes you'd look for in a defensive mid, but his composure on the ball. And as you said, the first touch is poor. His sense of awareness with, with his back to goal is just really bad. And he yeah, never does that. Never does it. So why would you expect him to come on in this kind of intense atmosphere and succeed? And he gives the ball away twice leads to in the 88th minute, the LaCelso uh, curler that hits oh, the post. That was which a good, was, that was a good strike incredibly lucky for us. It was a really well hit ball. And that was just, I think the least of our problems, honestly, as it unfolded, because just two minutes later, we have the probably second most controversial moment of the match, which is Holgate going in for the tackle studs up on Hoiberg wins the ball cleanly, but has his leg straight out, gets him high in the, I guess, leg with the studs. And that goes to VAR as well. And he gets a red card and that killed really any chance Everton had at getting all three points on the day. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that you can, I'm going to be honest. I don't think that you can argue the red there because while I'll say that when he went to clear the ball or or get a foot on it, I mean, he did not have that much space between the ball and the man, but I think the way that he kind of leaves his feet and the way that he extends his leg straight out, and follows through, it's a little odd to me. Um, But, you know, the the whole situation in general, in a simplistic view is, you know, the argument and what Ben brought up, why why was Bami not brought on instead of Holgate? You think it couldn't be because of defensive ability or aerial ability, because Bamin's better in the air by far. They're both pretty much as quick as each other. So that means that Rafa genuinely thought Holgate would do a better job of holding the ball and distributing the ball, which to me is absolute madness. And now we're finding ourselves down, you know, Holgate made a, a solid or, or less than solid nine minute appearance. And after all the hard, hard work that we put in at, at 90 minutes at Goodison park, the crowd going crazy, Everton probably looking the more likely side in the second half, we're left at 10 men just trying to hold down the fort. Yeah, I mean, there probably hasn't been a worse nine minutes oh, of one individual appearance. Um, I mean, maybe in, in history, but not one I could remember for a while with Everton. This is a clear red for me, by the way. I understand yeah. that people, why people are saying it, that he's what's he supposed to do. But the reality of the situation is what he's supposed to do is just kick the ball, not continue with the straight leg into the player and almost look like he, he 
got his left leg in there a little bit too, not on the player, but almost in, in a way to vault yourself into him. Look, I, I played this game enough and I played in that position, both positions, center half and defensive mid. And I've come in on many, many a tackle. I was literally that debatably dirty. Okay. Yeah, I was pretty dirty. I was right. I was fine. Whatever. You know, I knew my limitations as a player and I'm, I was a hatchet guy. There's no question, but you know what you're doing there. I think that's my take. I, I just, I, he didn't protest that much. So, so I think Rafael Benitez's quotes on both of our incidents, I think are interesting. I wanted to read them and, and I don't know how you guys thought his comment was Richarlison touched the ball after Lloris touched him in the middle of the pitch. It's a foul. And in the box, it has to be a foul. The whole gate red card. He had the studs very high. So I can't complain about that. I, full wholeheartedly agree with Rafael Benitez in, in both these instances. I think he's right. And I think the problem with the whole gate thing is it sucks though, right? Like, yeah, you say it and you're like, I think he's right because it's, it's such a quick moment. You know, I just, you know, you just maybe he wants to take it back and he could have, it wouldn't have been easy. I mean, I understand if you're playing aggressive that it, it could happen, but yeah, I think he's right. And the problem with the whole gate thing for me is just, you know, he's that type of player. Yeah. You know, he's good for one of those moments at any second of any match. Reckless, playing. rash, you know? So to bring him in when things are that physical, I guess I can see the rationale where like he might add to that. But the the lack of composure in a game that's already a little bit out of control just seems to be asking for trouble. And that's why I have, I think, why I take the biggest issue with it. The call itself, at first I was like, are you crazy? He won the ball. First replay, I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. What's even more ridiculous is then he, when, you know, when this all happens, he brings Babine in. Right. And takes Come off on. Gray. I mean, if what? And you were okay with bringing him in like 10 minutes later? I, I just mind boggling to me. I, you know, it's so sad, too, because I, I do think Benitez got a lot of things right structurally today. But I still think he's still missing a trick here with these players. I still feel like he's putting some of these guys in positions where they're not entirely comfortable. And I don't think they're going to succeed. I just don't think they have inherent characteristics to play. Well, I think the Townsend in the middle, bad idea. I think um, probably asking gray to defend as much as he did might've been a bad idea, although it would have been risky. At least I understood that one in the whole gate. This one just, I just, I can't see. I, I don't understand why you would do this at all. Um, he should, he watches the guy in practice every week. He should know what kind of player he is. He's seen him play. I mean, he just does not have the characteristics, in my opinion, of this type of player, and it just irritates me. Uh, that being said, let's change change topics slightly. Damari Gray came off. I wouldn't say he was amazing or anything, but I think there were some moments there. I think Spurs were just tough to break down. What are you guys' thoughts on how Gray played? I thought he was all right. Yeah? Yeah, he was okay. I mean, like you said, I'm pretty much of the opinion that Spurs were pretty organized defensively. Um I think to Emerson Royale, I mean, specifically, he's, he's pretty decent one-on-one. You didn't see Gray really try to beat him one-on-one very often as you do um, other times. But, I mean, four out of six for dribbles, 86% passing accuracy. So that's good, right? He held on to the ball, especially um, yeah. in forward areas, which is really important, especially without Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He had 60 touches, so he saw plenty of it, and three tackles. So even though he was defending quite a bit, I mean, he put in the work. And he was decently successful at it, in my opinion. What about you, James? Yeah, I think there were certain moments where he maybe... There were a couple moments when he was very direct going forward that were great to see. And others where he dwelled on it a little too long and let Spurs drop back and get into their shape and settle. Um, But you're right, Alex. I think you know he had to do a little bit more on both sides of the ball than we've seen from him in some matches this season. Not to say he didn't do either well, but he 
I'd say inconsistent for me, but he, at times I thought he looked really, really dangerous uh, with the ball at his feet. He's still slow pulling the trigger right now. I don't know yeah. what's up with that. You know, he's just kind of waiting, waiting. I know he can really strike a ball, but just let it fly, man. You know, that's totally fine. Emerson Royale, I think, is miscast a little bit. People think he's a wingback. He's not. I think he's a much better traditional right back. And I, as a result, it's not totally shocking that he defended decently well on that side. And Dean and Gray had some interplay that was dangerous and they're still getting used to each other because Gray has played in the middle quite a lot. But again, if you have a wing back, who's a good defender, knowing he's got three center halves behind him. So he almost always has cover that gives him some ability to, to defend with some freedom. And he made it hard for us, you know, Spurs deserve some credit. Um, I mean, it looked to me, you know, James, looking through the numbers that you kind of threw together, uh, I'd say we probably had a little bit more of the opportunities in the second half. I just don't remember Spurs generating much of anything in the second half at all, which is, I think, a testament to our defensive shape because they do have a lot of really dangerous players and you barely saw anything out of sun out of Kane, yeah out of mora in the time that sub he was sun on. off i mean he right. was ineffective i mean which is good but then you in the second half the stats six three for everton obviously the one nail on target 42 48 52 percent possession so more balance we were able to see more of the ball 82 to 85 pass percentage eight to ten in tackles so spurs little more in that regard for well, we seven in fouls. Yeah, exactly. We had the ball more um, and dispossessions and interceptions were basically even. So more of an even second half across the board. But I think Everton, as we've said, looked like the, the more likely team to score and potentially win the match. So taking a step back, I agree. It was probably the right call to focus more on defensive shape and organization coming off the last sequence of, of events, last matches, last results. But I would be remiss being the. I don't know if I'm the Debbie Downer, but I'm certainly objective reality guy. We'll call it that. Uh, it's hard for me to look at our, our XG total. Um, and again, info goal and understat aren't the greatest ones, but they're the quickest. It's the lowest XG we've had all season. Now, obviously we get the penalty that changes a little bit. We've had a lot of penalties, you know, earlier in the season. So that may have inflated that number, but look, the bottom line is we sacrificed, like I said, attack for defense. And so bravo to Rafa for making the changes and being willing to, shore up the shape. I just wish he would have done this earlier. Like we've been harping on this pod for several weeks now, but he's got to figure out a better balance here too. Now, sir, Spurs are a very good defensive side. So there is some of that. I think that's worth noting, but I just, I, I don't understand some of it. I, I think Gordon and, and Townsend, I think it's really hard to say how well any of them did. I mean, Gordon had one key pass, two shots, only one cross, only 22 passes. It, it really only had one bad touch and one bad, you know, one miscontrol. It was offsides at one time of the corner that drove me crazy. That was bad. Yeah. Oh, it was as bad as Townsend letting the ball go out for throwing instead of, I mean, seriously, man, did you think it was going to bounce to your right? I don't know. That was irritating. But and, and Town, I thought Townsend actually got bailed out a couple of times with foul calls. I mean, the way they're calling him in the Premier League. I mean, I've seen people get wiped out and have them not calling anything. I mean, he was fouled six times. You know, I think that's a little fortunate. Dispossessed twice, two bad touches, one for five in crosses. You know, half the time he was making with his right foot couple dribbles but i just don't think either of them were effective and i think in this setup i i think it would have been a much wiser decision to play someone like tom davies in that position from the get-go or even jpg someone that's familiar in the middle i probably would have played a wobi i know no one's going to be surprised about that haha but the bottom line is alex Awobi's a better fit for that he's comfortable in that role and i think he he is a much more dangerous threat of playing with charleston through and, and and getting in between the channels and that back line 
than Townsend is. I think Awobi's a better defensive player in the middle of the field as well. And so I, I don't understand that. I he almost seems reluctant to play Awobi in the middle spaces. Even when he made the change against Wolves, he pushed Townsend wide right. So so, so like, why do you, why are you surprised? So, I mean, you saw it. Alex made the comment. It's like they're on top of each other. Well, geez, I wonder why Townsend has almost no history of playing down the middle. So I, I don't understand this at all. I, I just think this is frankly foolish and Coleman probably didn't help a lot either, but he was basically stuck playing defense the whole time, which is good. But I mean, there was no space for him to go forward either way. Yeah. I mean, Coleman had a couple dribbles. He took care of the ball. No, wasn't dispossessed and didn't have any bad touches five for 12 and long balls, which isn't too bad and five tackles and an interception didn't get forward a whole lot and wasn't able to contribute. But Ryan, I think it's interesting. Yeah. You, you call out, it's interesting that Rafa has identified that maybe gray, not as great in that second striker role, but, and he moves him out left, which I think was smart, but instead of using a player who's more comfortable in that second striker role, he shoehorns Townsend in who, as you said, has no real history of playing there. So he got it partially right, but then he, he identified the problem, I think, but not the right solution, which was interesting. I also wouldn't start Gordon. I just think he's better coming off the bench. I think that's putting in a better position to succeed. But if you advocate for him starting, that's fine. He has nothing to do with the Wobie. I feel like people are saying, well, you know, Gordon's playing ahead of a Wobie. Yay. Cause we all hate a Wobie, but that that's not the point. It's really missing. I, I just don't see how anyone could watch and see those guys on a regular basis and see what they're equipped to do and think that, that made any sense. So I still think he's missing it in my opinion. I just, and then the whole gate one is absolutely atrocious, but I think that's a problem. Even if you get it right here, you still have to know how to put players in good positions to succeed. And and that's kind of my, you know, I mean, look at what Delph sitting help, you know, did for Alon. I mean, his numbers were tremendous today. And I think he, when he had the ball was a threat to go forward. I mean, 86% passing rate was great. He took care of the ball, but he also had three key passes. I think that may have led the team um four tackles i mean he's going to miss some tackles but it's not as costly he can still be aggressive in that role three fouls not surprising um three dribbles and he never got dispossessed at all i mean he took good care of the ball and it's just a shame that if we had the same level of danger from the right side as we had from the left side today uh i I think we probably would have broken through i really believe that and i just think the right side was kind of a waste as a result, I mean, am I, am I getting carried away here? But I just, it was frustrating to me to see his play down that side. I just thought there's no chance anything was going to amount to anything. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I was telling James off air, but at one point in the 50th, 60th minute, I'm just sitting there thinking, well, if he had someone of Lucas Dean's quality, but on the right-hand side, how much different this would look. If we had oh, Denzel you're Dumfries. Going there. You're going there now, aren't you? Bombing down the right-hand side, overlapping these two clowns that are standing on top of each other in the half space. <laughs> clowns. And maybe, maybe we would have had a ball into the box. Uh, you know, who knows? But Well, no, actually, you make a really good point. So if you have a right back that can get up and down like Dean could, and it's not like Dean lacked defensive ability today, right? Am I wrong? Oh, yeah. So no, think no. about that. So you get a right back that can occupy that wide space. You don't need those guys there. You can drop someone lower, deeper in the midfield. Exactly. And now you don't have that massive gap between our midfield and Richarlison. And you just need one guy in the half space. It opens up for the wide space, drop the other one in the middle, or even have him up top. I mean, and right, he, owned, he he got a yellow card in the 12th minute. I How know. much you does that change mean, when you're pinning him back uh, constantly? You know, I mean, God, you would have thought a second that happened. It's like, go after them. And they just, it didn't, it didn't work. I just don't know if he's going to learn from that. But the other thing is too, cut Andrews Townsend a break. I mean, he's playing out of position, number one, but number two, he has played like every minute this year. Yeah. And he, and also look, true. those guys were working too. 
I mean, they, they, there's no question those guys were working. I mean, Townsend was dead sprints in like the 89th minute. So all the credit in the world for them. But for me, you know, who I tend to think there's a little bit of a balance there. It's not always commitment. It's not always commitment. Yeah. It's not 1985 football anymore. Like, I, I just, I believe that one is, they could have run around as hard as they wanted and did all game and created nothing. Why? Because structurally, it didn't make any sense. I mean, none. But, you know, there was one nice bonus, though, today. One yes. very good thing that came out of the game. The lack of conceding dangerous set pieces. Woo-hoo! We only conceded two corners, and we really didn't give away any foul, dangerous fouls around the box either. Um, Two corners, both of which I was still very terrified for because anytime <laughs> I just traumatized after the, the, the discord was funny. It's like, uh-oh. yeah, <laughs> I was really scared, but it was helpful to have Dean tracking back. And, and you look at, thankfully, we only conceded two because the aerial picture was not pretty. We lost the aerial battle five to 18. A lot of those were obviously defensive for Spurs, but uh, 22% win rate and yet 16 aerial attempts. So. Stop crossing. Yeah. Why are you crossing the ball into one guy, Richarlison, who's decent in the air with three center halves, as well as, you know, skip. And uh, at one point there was, and we did get some guys in the box, but at one point there was, a, I think it might've been Townsend swung one in and it was literally Richarlison on the back shoulder among four or five Spurs player. It's like, this is not how you create and score goals, folks. You no, got to be a little more creative. No, another reason to maybe not play him in that position too, because if his bread and butter is across, I mean, he doesn't have the angle to cross. It's all so tight from the half space. It's hard to do. So that's another reason. Um, but yeah, we got murdered in the air, yeah. but that shouldn't have been a surprise, you know, and not that we had a ton of crosses again, you know, we're, it's not necessarily a huge part of Benitez's game. Although, you know, a couple of games ago, we did have a lot and that didn't help either. Um, all right. Listener comments. I thought we had some pretty good ones here, especially some talks about, potential man of the match and that type of thing. Let's start out with James Gardner at J.R. Gardner, 91. Much better on a hole from us. Delph looked quite the player today, really added some much-needed stability to our midfield. That penalty VAR mix-up was probably the most frustrating thing I've experienced in a while. First of all, it was very frustrating. Second of all, I would also venture to say that James's existence is pretty decent if that's the most frustrating thing he's had in a while. So congratulations, James, on having a great existence, buddy. Long time listener of the pod, but definitely agree there. Uh, (laughs) Maybe maybe the most frustrating thing I've experienced since uh, last Monday. But nonetheless, we also getting up for my son's 7 a.m. hockey game today. That was a little frustrating. Can I mention that? (laughs) But either way, no, no, even worse. His skates were in the pro shop because they were getting sharpened and we couldn't get into it. So the poor kid had to play with like Reynolds bare feet. So or kid played with the socks, you know, yeah. so sad, so sad. And apparently his toes were freezing because they had no padding on him uh, and just, he couldn't skate at all. He played okay, but it was just like, so you're saying James has a pretty good in comparison there, but we also had a couple other comments. We had Rob Mitch 802 at Rob Mitch 802 said, I'll take that effort any day, but I thought VAR was supposed to be clear and obvious. Agree with you fully Rob. Um, and I think the effort thing, you know, you know, we maybe poo-pooed on it a little bit last week. No, it's week, important. I'm not. We covered, I would love to see the ground coverage, like the distance covered by the players today versus Wolves. Because oh, I'll bet like, you it was, oh, I'll bet you after we changed systems, it was very high in Wolves. People think we yeah. didn't give any effort at all. I just think it's, it's to give effort when you don't have the right structure that it doesn't produce anything doesn't really matter, matter right. as well. But, but I mean, you do feel the effort and I, the crowd got behind him for sure. I'm sure it was difficult for Spurs. So okay. we also, we also had 
uh, a comment from Everton tweeter at you ready for it at tweeter Everton Whoa. switched it up there. Everton nil <laughs> R2. Up all night I mainly that feel one. aggrieved. I mainly feel aggrieved that the ref blew up for a penalty when we could have still scored. Yuris was off his line. Richie had the ball. Amateur refereeing. All in all, a good game considering, but without any real attacking threat. Hashtag spirit. Hashtag spirit, spirit. folks. Spirit. <laughs> we saw the spirit of the blues today, fellas. And he supports, honestly, basically. He supported essentially what we were saying, right? Yeah. 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 100% spot on for me. Yeah, he's a genius, basically. I mean, you know, he's saying exactly what we said. <laughs> no, yeah. you know, the, the last shout out, too, is uh, Lee Stokes, Stokesy at Lee underscore Stokes. Lee and I go back and forth all the time. By the way, I would truly recommend any listener that really wants to get involved in tactics and things like that. Lee's Lee's pretty, pretty advanced in that regard. And I like dialoguing with him. And I think he's a good observer of Everton for sure. So his comment is a much improved performance. Glad some lessons we learned particularly playing on the front foot with higher pressing and a higher tempo and a change to the setup defending corners. I, I think it was a bit of a change. I mean, I know we only had two of them. I saw Dean at least run with a player, fend them off and block them from getting inside the six. So I, to me, that was a slight hint of maybe a more a migration, more of a hybrid system, the setup in general. They, they look like they started in the same place. Again, they're only two. So you have to go back and watch it. His comment, the Elon sub killed our momentum. Unfortunately, now, Question, not saying JPG, but say Bameen goes in, do we score? What a hypothetical. Yeah, probably not. But I'm just saying, I mean, he's right, though. I mean, that totally killed. I mean, we yeah. looked like we were really coming on there and it's just done. So actually, to that point, though, and something actually we didn't talk about, but JPG had a pretty clutch clearance header when they had a set piece outside the box. It was like late 80th minute or so. But he was running right in front of goal and is able to clear it above. But that was that was honestly a clutch moment for him. So maybe vindicate a little bit for coming on for the last couple of minutes. I wanted to see him come in for Delph, really, just because I think that, you know, it allowed him to sit. It would have freed Allen up to continue to do what he was doing and would have kind of kept everyone else in the same spot. You know, it just would have been an exchange because if you're saying Delph's not just healthy, I, I just think that JPG is not going to be quite as active as Fabian Delph is maybe with the ball. But, you know, him clear of cards certainly can sit big strong snuff out any of their counters and has good passing range i just you know would have allowed us to kind of keep the same thing we we're we we're doing that being said i'm sitting there also had this pod and critiquing our right side for producing nothing so maybe yeah. that maybe that wasn't the right sub what whatsoever uh but anyway i, I thought alon looked kind of funny when he got sub too he almost looked like he was like, did, I, did you guys pick up on that? Almost he like, mad, yeah, he's yeah, like, kind of mad that he was taken off. Why are you subbing me? You know, I, I, I mean, it's just the flu. It's just a flu, guys. It's not as big a deal. It's just a flu. Why does everyone think it's such a big deal? It's just the flu. It doesn't affect most people that are in shape and good condition. <laughs> it's all right, careful now, Ryan. I'm just, just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I know I'm fully vaccinated. Um, I just want to know that. let's put a bow on this one, folks, and talk man of the match shouts. Um, I don't want to go first, so I'm going to start this off and kick it over. Alex. To, I was going to say Alex. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, that's hey, that's cool. I I actually kind of already um, I kind of already did. decided earlier on, unfortunately, so it's not too much of a surprise. But I think I think generally speaking, it's got to be Delph the midfield. We've had uh, plenty of problems in the last couple of weeks since Ducore has been out. It's a big question mark. He held the ball well. Stats looked very good thought he um, kept possession ticking 
and generally showed for the ball well, too. So it's got to be dealt for me. What about you, Ryan? Probably, but I'll throw in a couple other names here because it would just be boring otherwise. Um, I would say Luca Dean deserves some consideration, although his numbers maybe not have been incredible. But I think Alon, for me, it was nice to see him more freed up, the ability to kind of support our attack. And I know we weren't super dangerous down the left side, but every time we attacked on the left side, I never thought that they were going to break back out, really hurt us or anything because he was kind of there. Uh, when we have a little bit more of the ball, he's quite good with it. And look, I mean, he won the ball back. Did he get bypassed a bunch of times? Yeah, he did. I mean, you know, a, a couple times, shall I say. But I, I just think that's a better use of him at this point in his career in this league. You know, I think he can get away with playing a little more discipline and in leagues that maybe don't quite have the level of speed and athleticism as you have in the premier league. A lot of the fouls probably helped, you know, slow down the game a little bit for, for some of our guys, but now nah, I'm still going to go with Fabian Delta. And the reason why I go with Fabian Delta, frankly, is because I think we're, you know, like I said, that I think Fabian Delta's a good player and I'm glad that he finally got a chance to show a lot of what he can do. And, um, you know, he looked like the player that we thought we were getting. It's just been a shame that he's been hurt so much not because he's some leading starting wonderful player but man you know if he was healthy this whole time as in a backup role to fill in with some of the horrid injuries we've had in the midfield i think we probably would have won a few more uh in my opinion at this point so hamas bring us home yeah i'm gonna say that there won't be a, a rigorous debate about man of the match today because i'm leaning fabian delph as well despite just playing 60 minutes you can make a case for luca dean but he's just so rock solid consistently that it didn't feel it, it just his his baseline is so high that it's really hard for him to like shine because our expectations are consistently that high. But Fabian Delph, yeah, just reversing some of the the negativity in general towards him, and and hopefully it can continue. Hopefully he can stay fit because I agree with him available. It gives us a little bit better versatility in our midfield, and the, the struggle with him is just going to be fitness. But saw a lot of what he's capable of bringing to a side, and you know maybe he's not the best fit for a Rafa system where possession isn't the focal point. Conversely, looking at a player who can bring a little bit more stability and consistency in possession and midfield is something I think we're really missing, as Alex said, without Decore. So I think he, he provides a, an interesting option and clearly has earned the trust of the manager. You could argue also that maybe Bamin lost it with his first half performance last week. But um, yeah, Fabian Dell for me all day long. Uh, really glad to see him finally be able to put a, a strong shift in. Well, we know at least we won't have the option of him having to select Mason Holgate going forward for a couple games. That's for right. sure. Um, talk about an LVP performance. Although I would argue that the referees, if anything, probably get the uh, lowest marks today. I don't want to see another match that they're just the spectacle of it the whole time. It's supposed to be the opposite. But yeah, you know, look, it was good to see fight today. Right. And it was good to see it was an entertaining match for sure. Would have loved to come out with a win. Don't know if it would have been deserved, but it would have been pretty amazing. I, I just wanted to see a score because the crowd seemed like they were so into it. Oh, um, set up so perfectly for it. Uh, yes, it was like, if we had gotten a late goal, a winner, I mean, that place would have been absolute pandemonium. And I feel like Evertonians toffee fans need, need, we deserve a little of that, especially after the last couple of weeks. But anyway, onward and upward, I suppose. Yeah, indeed. And we head into the international break. So a week reprieve from Everton, hopefully no injuries sustained, but guys coming back off the return when we face Manchester City. So we're going to need as many first teamers available as possible. We then have Brentford prior to the Goodison Derby, Merseyside Derby at the start of December. So a tough run of fixtures, as we've already said on this show coming up, but 
hopefully Everton fit and ready to go. And with that, that's going to do it for us today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much as always for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice, preferably five stars helps us out a lot. Um, if you want to find all our social media links, what have you, you can find that at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That's L-I-N-K-T-R.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. You can find all our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord links, etc. Toffee TV USA, all that good stuff. Otherwise, we'll be with you. We got a bunch of fun stuff planned for the international break content-wise. Hope you're looking forward to it as much as we are. And until then, up the Toffees. <laughs>